0: Fantastic. Good to see you guys. Welcome. You would think a progressive preacher could get used to progressive lenses. <laughs> but if you're, if you're an optometrist in the room, I'm going to tell you this garbage is bananas. Everything's blurry except like one little dot. So like I feel like I'm periscoping now. So I'm not going to notice that uh, it's your birthday today, Mike, because I can't even see you. It's Mike's birthday. Jesus. I, if you look real close, you can see birthday. Oh boy. That was the most unenthusiastic applause. <laughs> Bro, you're going to have to put yourself out there and try a little harder. This community, sure, just, you know, they're like, <laughs> anyway. Next year, be better. I love when people's spouses text me and say, hey, burn him publicly. It's his birthday. I'm like, I, I think I can do that. <laughs> I don't know if I feel like preaching today, but I can definitely burn the birthday guy. So. Well, welcome to ANC. As you know, my name is Jason, and as you know, Um, if you're following along. This is the beginning of Lent, and Lent is one of those great seasons of the church that is designed to gift us sort of a a chance to resettle in time and space and get our heads around something that's about to happen. The other great one at the other end of the year would be Advent that prepares us for the birth of Christ. Well, we're now in a 40-day march up to Easter, and it's a little funky math. Christians can't do math or calendars or lunar things, uh, and so it's like 40 days plus the Sundays, and so it ends up being a weird journey from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Don't worry about the math. Uh, you trust Christians with math and you end up with a 6,000 year old earth. Just don't, just don't do that. <laughs> I've always wanted to get that joke on the podcast, anyway. <laughs> Some of you guys who've come to dinners for 10, that manages to be said every dinner. No, that's, but I think it's funny. But the reality is it's 40 days of preparation for Easter. And I think we have to hold in tension the reality that there is no such thing as access to an empty tomb without the journey we're about to go on. You don't get to cut to the good stuff, and boy, do I wish, do I wish we could, right? The journey that we're starting today has been shaped by a bunch of people. I no longer do any of this work alone. Some of the people who have shaped this are here in Austin. Uh, one of them lives in Michigan, and one of them lives in Seven Devils, North Carolina. Isn't that the greatest name of a town you've ever heard of? That's the truth, Seven Devils, North Carolina, eight our poet, that's where Mark and Tiffany live now. And so Mark and I have been working on this too, but most of the work in terms of the architecture that will hold Lent together as we journey as a community uh, is, is being worked on and compiled by what I call our Preacher's Guild, and it's about seven of us um, who gather and shape the word, and in case you're worried, it's definitely not all white men. Uh, I'm the only white man in that space. Uh, but these thoughts, that was supposed to be funny, but it really wasn't, was it? <laughs> I guess white guys telling white guy jokes is never actually funny. I'll make a note, I'll make a note. That, that won't happen again. But one of the things Allison and I like to do is we like to gather periodically with volunteers in different departments and we like to take them to dinner. It's just a small way to say thank you for your time. And so recently we were uh, with the youth workers uh, and we were out to dinner at Loro and I asked this question, my, my wife, your mother, is famous for intentional questions that are just white hot and if you let conversation settle, she's going to bring one up. That's your fair warning. Here she comes in the building now. <laughs> Next subject. But she brought up the question. She, the question was to the youth workers what do you need? What do you need from us? And their answer was unequivocal. It was we need for ANC youth to have a bigger role in the church. I think that's fair. And I feel a little dumb for not noticing that. But we listened deeply to that. And so during Lent, the great season of fasting and foregoing certain pleasures, We're gonna allow ANC youth to name those things they would like us to put aside for Lent. Now, it's gonna get hot, y'all. It's your fault, your kids. You're gonna end up spending most of Lent without your phone. I can already tell you this, I've seen their suggestions. Our kids aim for the chest when they take a shot, and I can't think of anything more difficult than allowing our teenagers to tell us about our distractions and what they need us to leave behind to focus more on the family. I'm talking about having different conversations at the dinner table because they're tired of talking about the same things. I'm talking about figuring out how to consume uh, what we buy and produce no waste. Get ready. ANC youth, when you ask them questions, they will give you answers. And so starting next week, built into our service, we will have a youth lead us through what they think is something we should put aside in a great season of preparation as we prepare our hearts for Easter. So if you don't like that, then sit far, far, far to the back if you like and just blow it off. You can always just fast Facebook which is why Zuckerberg hates evangelicals. That actually was funny, wasn't it? Some of you in this room work for him, so I have to be very, very careful. And that's actually true. So it's going to get practical next week uh, as we move our way. Um, We aren't the kind of people who pull away from hard. If you're new here, here's what you need to know about us. We lean into the difficult. If we know there's a redemptive journey that's going to take us into hard spaces, we will do it for the sake of the redemptive work, even if it's difficult. And that takes me up to our subject today. Lent 1 always begins with a conversation around the wilderness. And I'm not talking about the kind of wilderness that we experience from our airstreams. I'm actually talking about wild places where things melt down, where we see through the fabric, where motives are revealed, Places that we barely come out of alive. Sorry to wreck your birthday, Mike, but we're going to go to a hard place today. I'm talking about the kinds of places, and you'll see in our text in a minute, it takes us to the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. I'm talking about the kind of places that we're forced to either die or grow up in. Hard spaces. Places where we learn to release things we thought sustained us that actually, in the end, don't. Lo and behold. Places where we learn to cleave to other things that we were unaware of, but the wilderness somehow brings them out in that testing. I'm talking about places where the Spirit of God will lead us, but we're not sure we'll survive. Let me just pause right there. I wonder, I wonder. I wonder if anything rises in your awareness when I say that. I wonder if you've ever been through one of these testings. I know I have. I'm talking about the kind of places that strong women and strong men go into and never come out of alive. We've seen it happen. Kind of wild spaces that reorder our lives, that reshape our faith or murder our faith altogether as we knew it. Real places where the Spirit of God will lead us if we allow it. Ultimately, I'm talking about the places that the Spirit of God leads us where shortcuts seem like the answer. They seem so tempting. And that's my philosophical architecture for the text we're about to read together. You see, we're all going to end up in these spaces of testing and trial. So let's read Matthew chapter four. It's the gospel reading from the lectionary for the first day of Lent. First Sunday in Lent, I should say. It's titled, The Temptation of Jesus. First one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, notice that, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards he was famished. He could have left that second clause off. Of course he was. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, this is Jesus, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil picks up on the little quote fest concept, as you'll see. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, here's the devil quoting, and as best I can gather, he's quoting this right. He says this, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you may not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus retorts, said again, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And I'm not sure what high mountains exist in Israel, but they're not very high. Nonetheless, we could ask Don Smith later about how high it is takes him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you, this is the devil talking, if you will fall down and worship me. And he reveals his hand here, doesn't he? Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Now, before we get too far, first rule of biblical studies is that you first have to understand that this may not be a story about you. This is a story, as Matthew recalls, the temptation of Jesus immediately following the baptism. So this may not be the paradigm or the pattern of your development. You may not need to walk through. This is not the exhaustive list of temptations between the devil and man. This may not be that kind of thing, but here's what I can guarantee you. If Jesus went through it, there's a reason, and there's something to be mined if we can see it. If we can train our eye, there's something to be seen here. So immediately after that victorious moment at the Jordan, where the skies open, the dove descends, the voice of the Father declares, this one, I'm proud of this one. By extension, he's speaking to all of humanity. Immediately following, Jesus follows the Spirit into this hard and difficult and lonely place where a series of shortcuts are offered to Jesus as a way through. Three basic temptations, great Volumes have been written on this. Great sermons have been preached far better than I can come up with. As best I can tell, these are all variations on the same idea, our desire for power and control. I wonder if it surprises you that Jesus was faced with the same age-old, shortcut, end-run, quick fixes that we're tempted with. I wonder You see, in time, God would absolutely solve the physical hunger of Jesus after fasting for 40 days. Angelic agencies would meet his needs on God's request. That's not the problem. But he wouldn't need to alter the natural way the world works in order to give Jesus bread turned from stones. You see, stones could be stones and bread could be bread and Jesus could be Jesus. And he was sufficient with his inner resources to say, no need to alter the natural order. I have what it takes have what I need. Same is true for you. Same is true for me. I wonder if we remember these thoughts as we're offered shortcuts through the suffering. I wonder if we can be reminded from time to time that we actually already have what it needs, what we need to make it through. That first temptation, eat some rocks. Second one, Jesus would indeed do spectacular things. The devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the center point of all significance and meaning to Jewish people of the day. And he says, throw yourself down. It would be spectacular. People would see you land on angelic, soft, I'm not sure what, foam pit or whatever. I found my way through a foam pit once and fractured both my heels. It probably wouldn't have been a foam pit. It must have been something the devil was suggesting. It's your moment. Let people follow you. Jesus forgoes that spectacular moment. You see, in time, he would do spectacular things. In time, in fact, he would knock the whole temple down and rebuild it. He's referring to his body. He knew exactly how to do spectacular things in time, but it wasn't yet the moment. It wasn't yet the time. And he said no. And that third and final approach, the, all, the devil offers all the kingdoms of the world that would, in fact, be given to Jesus. Now, we know through the language of Paul later in the New Testament that, in fact, God gave those kingdoms of the world to his son, but the moment wasn't right. There was no need to truncate the timing and the process, and I think this is what we can learn. Jesus embraced the process of hunger and want and loneliness and emptiness, and that's how I understand these offers from the tempter, capital T. These are shortcuts, every single one. Ways to access an empty tomb without having to go through the cross and the public scandal of crucifixion. Ways to experience freedom without first having to learn to release. You see, there's a process here. Jesus goes into the wilderness so that he can emerge from the wilderness to set all people free. There's so many ways to teach this passage. I wrote about them all this week and ended up throwing thousands of words away. They didn't feel like they they fit. In the end, this prevailing idea leaps from this story to me, and it's the one that's saving my life this week. I want shortcuts. I'm glad I'm the only one in the room. I want to find a way to make it all stop. I want to learn the lesson so I can throw the switch and be done with the suffering. Enough already. I get the point. I'm trying to figure out the formula. Anyone with me? How do we make it stop? That's what I want to do. I want the shortcut. I want to hurry up and get what I need so I can get past it and say that was awful and now I'm better and things are great. But is there any other way, church? Is there any other way? Are shortcuts actually any easier? Or would we just be compounding the problem, missing the point and making things worse? Oh, I think you can hear what I'm implying. What's been happening in the wilderness that I'm currently in is the testing of my belief in shortcuts as the answer. Maybe they're not the answer. Maybe they don't take me where I need to go. As I've sat with this text this week in the wisdom of our poet who lives in Seven Devils, I love it, I would say this. The text suggests that there actually aren't shortcuts available to us. Shortcuts that avoid the pain may actually make it the longest way around a thing. And so sometimes, some things must die in the wilderness of our testing. Our belief in these ready available answers to alleviate this moment of trial, this must die. It's our belief in cutting out the painful bits and cutting to the empty tomb and just getting to the point and seeing the glory. It's our desire to experience the good stuff without the process. See, the wilderness is a metaphor for our journey to the bottom, to the essential moving parts of life and faith, to what's true anyway. That we already have what it takes to be sustained in the dry places. Oh, I wonder if anyone's listening today. You have what it takes to make it through. Do you know that? Jesus needed no external answers to what was going on inside. He went deep down inside and he found the resources to say not yet. That's what hit me this week from this story is that Jesus survived the wilderness by going deep down within himself. That's where the resources reside, these places of wanting and aching and hurting, these places of hunger and thirst and loneliness and the ultimate death of all mythologies of power and control are precisely what the wilderness is after, and if we can release it, it will take it from us, and we will be free. The outside world, as it turns out, does not make you well. Have you met someone who's accumulated everything you can imagine? it does not fill the dark nights. It's not our source of happiness, there's nothing on the outside designed to make you happy. The wilderness will take from you relentlessly but it will give you in return this gospel truth that you have what you need to make it through. Oh, I wish I was in an African American church that could hear from somebody this morning. <laughs> Lord have mercy, if the great Alvin Taylor's gonna play that hard in here y'all, you're gonna have to get a little less white Just saying. And that's the gospel for us today, church, as we begin Lent. Everything we need is actually already available to us on the inside. Can we stand in the hunger? Can we hold in the thirst? Can we stand in the wind? Let me see if I can name a few things today. I might miss some, and I will certainly not make the exhaustive list of observations from this. But if we're ever going to be free, we have no choice but to follow the Spirit of God where it leads into dry and lonely places often to find what we need. We will find God in those places. We will find the devil in those places, and we will also find ourselves in those places, our deepest truth. You see, Easter's pulling on our soul now. We know the process. We know that nothing new rises until something dies and becomes ashes, until it becomes waste and then new things rise. We know Easter is pulling on us. Nothing new comes to be until something gives way. We know this. And what do you do with dead things? You bury them in the earth and they become something else. You put them to rest. You might remember that thing that died and that. You might remember how you limp. You might remember that loss and that that defeat. But it's a, it's a headstone now that you visit when you're ready. Things in the desert must die, and we have to bury those things. So what is the liturgy in the wilderness? It's the liturgy of last rites. It's the ceremony of the burial. It's the final words, and then dirt to cover those things. Let me just name a few of them. You might need to bury God. Hear me, church. He's dead. At least the one you thought you knew when you were young. Hear me. Follow me now. I'm talking about burying the God you thought existed. You know the one, the God of your youth, the one that you were convinced hated you, the one that you thought was always ready to punish you and expose you and make a laughing stock of you. That God needs to be buried in the wilderness. It's not gonna work now for you. Bury that God, gather at that gravesite. I'm talking about the one that would seem to be ashamed of your body and your body's language and its orientation and its abilities and its desires. The wilderness you are now in is designed to reveal to you how badly naive notions of that God must go away. They must die. Whatever you do, don't bring that God with you back out of the wilderness. If anything new is going to rise in its place, you've got to bury those small notions. Maybe that you don't connect with that. Maybe you're not deconstructing the faith of your youth. Maybe you're new to faith. Here's another thought. Let me name this. What's falling away for some of us as we speak, what needs to be abandoned and left in the wilderness, is our naive notions of relationships and marriage. Now hang on, it's gonna get hot. You're gonna feel a little pressure. You see, you thought that you could actually be your partner's happiness, didn't you? Oh, don't shake your head yet. Their completion, their reason for living, and all of that is a myth. You see, we come into relationships, some of us with fault. False pretenses, thinking that it's my job to solve your emptiness. I will be your happiness. We're gonna do this forever. We're gonna fix each other and what needs to die in the wilderness of testing of midlife is the truth that you were never actually called to be someone else's completion. You get to rise fully alive and you get to do that with someone else if you choose, but you cannot solve someone else's problems. You cannot be their healing. Oh, I feel alone in this place. I'm here to tell you stay together, but for different reasons. Work it out, but for different reasons. They are not your happiness. That is your work to do. And that image of how things work is not going to work for you moving forward. So gather at the gravesite and bury that idea. I got one more in case nobody's connecting with those two ideas. You know, all, all preaching is autobiographical, right? Either that or it's fake. How about this that needs to die in the wilderness? Our notion as parents that it is up to us to control the outcome. Hang hang with me now. If you're parenting, you know what I'm talking about. Nothing breaks us more profoundly than kids that go directions that we couldn't predict. You see, you were never called to control the outcome, church. You were called to create conditions in which things might thrive and humans might rise. And you were created to be there in unconditional ways, but you were never called to be the protector of their soul. They have a god. They have a father just like you. We have to let go of our notions of our control. You see, this is what the wilderness is about. It will take from us things that don't work anyway. And when the devil offers shortcuts, I want to encourage you to understand they're actually the long way around. The whole spiritual life is summarized in this one thing. Can we release Can we let it go? We are not in our children's lives to control the outcome, so bury that idea. Do whatever ceremony you must do and throw some dirt on that let it lay. What are you saying, preacher? This certainly doesn't sound like good news to me. Oh, church. What if the wilderness is our way to get free? What if fasting intentionally encourages us to see more clearly? What if the only way through is through? What if there's actually no way around? What if shortcuts are actually distractions? What if when we lean in together and we go deep inside the resources God has already given us, what if that will actually make us a people that are free? Oh, I hope that's the case. You know what dies in the desert, in the wild places, in the wilderness? Exactly what needs to. That's what dies. Notions, mythologies, Small ideas, quick fixes and end runs and shortcuts. Let's let Easter pull on our hearts now. Lent will eventually deliver us to an empty tomb, but there's a whole lot we have to go through first. There's a cross in front of us, and there's no way around it. There's no way to the empty tomb without going through the cross. And if you can hear it today, what I am suggesting to you is that the wilderness is the only way The pain is the cure. The death is the liberation. Welcome to Lent. Pray with me. (laughs) Join me on your feet if you're able. Musicians, you know the routine. See, here's the tricky thing about being a preacher. You don't get to Point through the desert and tell people, go left when you see this and go right when you feel that and and then, you know, circle back and do this when this happens. No, no, you you have to lead through these spaces. There's no other way through it. And I'm very aware this year of what we're trying to accomplish as a church. So I don't know what the actual thing is that you are currently suffering in. I don't know what it is. I know a few of you. I could name it for a couple of you. For the most part, I don't know what that is, but you know what that is. You know what that is. And you have prayed and you have sought wisdom and you have begged God to relieve you of the process by which you are becoming him. That might be the whole thing right there. So I wonder if we could just pray together. With this generic open prayer, it would just simply be yes, I don't know what that means for you, but you do. So join me in prayer. God, you've been so kind and you've been so faithful. You've been so present. And all of our needs have actually been met. And yet we doubt and we wonder and we cleave to control. And your spirit beckons us in dry places to release. To lay down. To walk away. To forgive. To empty. To let go. So Lord, make that a reality for us today in a million ways. Make us hungry enough to let go of things that distract that we might increase an awareness of your hand in our lives. Let that be our Lenten prayer. To the church circling and circling, the shortest path from your heart to God's is acceptance. At this, the disciples turned away and grumbled, saying, What work will be left then to do? All of it. To your great joy, all of it. Go and make peace. Blessings.